As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. This week we talked with Todd Garland, the founder of Buy Sell Ads, about how you don't need to be the first to market. We also chatted a bit about how old-fashioned hustle and personal touch still literally pays off. I think you guys are seriously going to like this one. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Todd Garland, the founder of Buy Sell Ads, uh, which is my favorite ad network on the planet. So, 
Todd, we're, we've been kind of discussing the early days of buy sell ads and how you got it off the ground. Why don't you take us back to what made you start getting into the ad business? Sure thing. So um, I was, uh, so for some context, buy sell ads primarily started in like the web design and development space um, and helping those uh, types of publishers sell ads to advertisers. Um, and what it really came down to is um, I myself um, was passionate about web design and development. I had a couple hobby blogs that I was um, using to make some money on the side. And ultimately, um, I discovered that I was much better um, at helping uh, folks like myself um, monetize their sites than I was actually um, in writing about web design and development and, and uh, writing tutorials and stuff. Um, and so that's uh, that's largely why I launched Buy Sell Ads is because I found a better way to um, to get advertiser money and you know uh, Robin Hood it over to uh, the publishers. So what did the ad space look like um, in 2009? Who was your your main competitor? Yeah, so the, the really the only other um, company dabbling in like I, I guess what I consider the the sponsorship side of uh, online advertising was AdBright. Um, and I think just because of their evolution and where they were, they'd been around for, I don't know, maybe three, four or five years at that point in 2008. Um, they were at the point where they'd already, um, built ucopious numbers of features into their product. Um, Mm -hmm. but ultimately what people wanted was just something much simpler than that. Um, and so that was kind of the core difference between buy, sell ads and AdBright is that we, we literally only sold ads at fixed 30 day rates. Um, that was the only way you could sell. I think there's something really interesting there, too, because a lot of people in this space, when you're trying to get into the SaaS world, you're thinking of a new market you can break into or um, trying to come up with some completely novel idea. And what I found really interesting about buy, sell ads is that um, you kind of proved which something which I think is true and that you don't need a completely new market. Um, you just need to solve a, a problem better for an existing market um, and to know that I mean, I don't know what your thought process was like at the time when you decided to go up against AdBright, but it sounds like you had a completely different idea of how things should be done. Um, I don't know if you kind of just made the decision lightly to give it a shot or if you knew you were taking on, you know, a David and Goliath situation. Um, But I think there's something really interesting there. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, I was pretty naive going into it. and uh, had I known that it was uh, David and Goliath, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, but I think that's the that's the beauty of, uh, of of being naive about something and being able to take a fresh perspective on uh, an industry that has a ton of history and a, and a lot of baggage um, is just being able to go into it with a, a fresh set of eyes and trying to figure out um, how you can break down a problem at the most basic level um, to help people do something a little bit differently um, and help them, you know. Uh, solve the problem yeah absolutely yeah, so what what did that uh early the first launch look like um you're going up against Adbright, and what was that page that you launched with yeah so um there um i guess the story i always like to tell is that um i launched with like um i mean uh folks call it minimum viable product this was like minimum viable uh you know archaic version of the worst coded HTML page ever. (laughs) Sounds good. So so, uh, quite literally, people would submit their website for approval. um, And I'd uh, 
get that email saying it had been submitted, I'd go to their website, I'd take a screenshot manually, I'd bring that into Photoshop, I'd resize it, upload that screenshot to the server, and then update the database with like the, the file name so that it would look like their profile was created for them. <laughs> um, and in the meantime, it, there was like a default screenshot that said, you know, processing. Uh, <laughs> so they just didn't know that it was me you know, in Photoshop actually processing the screenshot. Um, but that's just an example of like, you know, those, those, uh, those things that like aren't directly related to solving the actual problem. Like people weren't using Bicel ads because they wanted to have an automatic screenshot generated of their website. They're using Bicel ads because they wanted an easier way to sell ads to advertisers. Right. Um, and so things like that, that aren't critical to the, um, uh, process can easily be, you know, offloaded into manual things. You know? So what else in that first version was either left out or mocked like that? Um, so, uh, cash outs, um, and, uh, what a cash out is, is once the publisher actually makes money through buy, sell ads, um, they can then withdraw that money. Um, so you had to actually send me an email. Um, there was a link in the publisher dashboard that said, you know, cash out your money and it would just pop up a, an email uh, to support it by Um, advertisers also couldn't actually cancel their ads without sending me an email. Um, which probably sounds crazy, but, um, you know, as it turns out, doing things that way forced them and me to get to know each other. Um, and so it allowed me to, instead of, you know, trying to figure out how to build personality into the software, I was able to just, you know, be personality over email, um, which then further kind of wrote people into um, enjoying doing business with, with buy, sell ads. Um, hopefully, right? I mean, that was the goal. The goal was to, um, well, the, the, the goal wasn't to have to do these things manually. The goal was um, to get the site live and uh, a nice byproduct of skipping some of those things that should have been automated was that it allowed me to build a rapport with, with all of our customers. I think that's awesome. One of the things that um, when you're building a product, you see all these other products around you that have amazing experiences and you can you uh, compare yourself to that. So features like the automatic screenshot generator or cash outs, you picture people just hating you if you leave something out like that. But when we do leave something out and force ourselves to push out a version of, of hook feed, we realize that people don't get angry. Um, and it's like you said, a lot of times it's just a chance to talk to them and they don't blame you. They understand that it's a small team and it's almost an opportunity to show them how fast you can respond and help them out. Totally. Yeah. I mean, what people care about is that you're solving some sort of problem for them. Um, anything else is just bonus, you know? So. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So you launched this kind of strip-back page, strip-back product. Um, how were you driving people to it? I mean, how were you really getting your first customers? Um, so, um, the, the, the term has definitely become cliche. Um, but really I was just hustling, you know, I, um, 
um, I was I was looking for people online that who, who I felt um, had a problem that I could actually solve. Um, and so ultimately, what it meant is that I just really understood the product that we were trying to build, and I really understood the problem that we were solving. And so I was able to articulate that pretty effectively to folks um, who I had identified as having that same problem. Um, and you know, um, I wasn't automating any of that kind of early hustle or anything like that. Um, we still don't to this day. Um, you know, there's something there's something nice about a um, a, a, a well-targeted cold email, um, cold calls and cold emails. They, um, you know, everybody hates to get them, but when you receive that one, that's like, wow, I think you can actually help me. You reply, you know? So, um, I think as long as you stay human, uh, in the way that you approach people and you don't nag them, you know, like I, have, I have people who will try to pitch me on services and I'll get like three, four emails before I finally get, angry and send them back an email and say, Hey, can you just remove me from your list? I'm not interested. Um, so I think it just takes a certain amount of tact and, um, uh, you know, a certain human quality, I guess, to knowing how to communicate effectively via email. Yeah, actually, um, I loved your example, cold email that you have in your speaker deck from Valio. Um, because we have a, I forget who coined the term. It might've been an Amy Hoy term, the IREA where you send someone an email and it's, everything about me and, um, verbal IREA basically. And your email is really right off the bat, all about them, what you're going to solve for them. You notice that they have a problem and you want to make it easier and it's short. Um, it's really kind of the perfect cold email. So, um, we'll, we'll pull that out in the notes so that, um, anyone listening can take a look and see, cause it's really a great example. Cool. Thanks. I think it's also important to note that the, um, the invite code in that email is just like a random, you know, me hitting the keyboard, you know, 10 times. <laughs> um, to make it look no, like it was a private beta. Yeah. So the, the only thing that actually, um, uh, like prevented you from registering at Bicel Ads was, uh, the absence of some sort of invite code. So you could type, you know, question mark invite equals whatever under the URL and then register. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just another example of like don't build features that you really don't need. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because simple, simple little things like that can balloon. I mean, there's a lot of lot of code these days that you can use to to simplify and make things easier to build in. But that can easily take up a half day or a day that could either be spent on something else or could push up your launch sooner. Totally. Um, and so- kind of speaking of time, um, you you weren't working full-time on, on buy, sell ads in the, in the very beginning. Um, I'd love to hear a bit about, uh, what you were doing in addition to buy, sell ads to pay the bills, uh, during that time. Sure. So, um, I was working a full-time job at a company called HubSpot, uh, here in Boston. And, um, even before that, uh, I was freelancing, um, while I'd started building buy, sell ads. So, you know, whether it was freelance work or an actual full-time job, it was still kind of the, the same general concept of having some sort of consulting work that pays the bills on the side while you're um, trying to build a product uh, that, you know, sustains itself. Yeah, and one of the interesting things that um, we kind of talked about before uh, jumping on was the stigma around freelancing, um, which which I think led you into to HubSpot. Do you, could you... Uh, yeah, kind of, th- there's kind of this expectation that if you are launching a SaaS product, it's almost a failure if you're still taking this consulting work. And 
that's just not the case. I mean, it, it's a slow road to get things going. So, um, yeah, we'd love to hear kind of the timeline of how long you worked at HubSpot doing the juggle, um, when you were finally able to make the leap over full time. Yeah, sure. So, um, at, at, at the end, I was uh, working at HubSpot for two years. Um, about, I think, half that time was as a contractor. So while I was doing my other freelance work as well, and while I was working on uh, the initial version of Buy, Sell, Ads. Um, and um, I didn't actually launch Buy, Sell, Ads when I had, uh, when I had it finished. Um, it kind of sat on the shelf. I think it was either like three or six months that it could just sat there before I actually launched. Um and, um, and like I said, I was working at HubSpot and the reason why I took the job at HubSpot is because I felt as though I uh, needed to prove myself, uh, that I could actually hold a real job. Um, I think there's this, like, uh, this back then anyway, there's this weird stigma toward people who freelance, uh, that it like wasn't a real job or, you know, when you had to tell, uh, your relatives that you were a, a web master because <laughs> that's the only term that they could, uh, understand, um, so for me, you know, part of accepting the job at HubSpot, uh, was circumstantial. I was getting married that year. Um, and I felt as though, um, I needed to prove to my, my fiance and, um, you know, and family that I could have a real job and I was worthy of being married to, uh, <laughs> as odd as it may sound, you know, that, that's uh, one thing that definitely weighed on me, um, in leading up to taking that job at HubSpot. Um, anyway, fast forward. So, um, I launched by Slides February 2008, and then I left HubSpot at the end of 2008. So January 1st, 2009, I was 100% on my own. Um, so there was about an 11-month uh, ramp-up period before I could actually uh, go out on it uh, full-time. Nice. And then when, was, when did you hire your first employee? So first full-time employee was June of 2009. Okay. Um, and I think... Uh, Part of the uh, one of the more interesting parts about the Bicelot story is that um, it's it was June and not something like April because um, our first hire had to first graduate high school. Oh no way! Yeah, and yeah. he now holds a, a pretty important position. He's the co-founder of Bicelot now. So That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Did you know him beforehand? Um, well, I mean, we had started. Um, just before the end of uh, 2008, um, we had started working on the new version. So he was uh, working as a contractor, and um, he just didn't come on full time until June, once he had finished high school. Yeah, so you had the the trial period. You know, he was going to work out. Yeah, exactly. We actually we rewrote the entire Bicelads code because I'm I'm a, a, a you know not even a designer like a, a designer a front end kind of uh, coder type person. Um, and cert most certainly not a developer. Um, and we rewrote the entire code base between January 1st and April 15th. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a pretty crazy stretch. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'd love to talk a bit about, um, what you guys are rolling out today. Um, cause you guys have gone through the startup period. You have, I think 19 employees now. Um, but you're, you're rolling out a new product, um, which is the publisher pro. Uh, and this is something that, that we actually use. Um, but we wanted to talk a bit about the landing page and how you guys uh, decided to put the design together. Uh, you do, There aren't a lot of screenshots of the application. Um, you've really, uh, well, you, you walk the user through what the benefits are, and we'd love to hear how you guys came about that. 
Yeah, so I mean, there's actually, um, you're right, there's zero screenshots of the actual app. Um, we're just trying to help um, uh, help uh, paint a picture of um, what we expect or what we assume a user wants to aspire towards. Um, and a lot of it stems around just the, the ever-changing uh, landscape, if you will, of uh, display advertising and advertising on the web in general. Um, because a lot's changing, you know, like, um, you know, the same display ads we were selling back in 2008, they just aren't as effective for advertisers here in 2014. So things are changing. Publishers are, are being forced to kind of change how they monetize. Um, and there's, there's a lot going on. Um, and so in terms of the landing page, um, basically all we're trying to do is, is um, help a publisher see um, that there is something else out there that can help you monetize and then get them to um, get in touch with us. Uh, there's no pricing. There's just a lead form. No, we don't collect a credit card or anything like that just yet. Are um, you targeting kind of a, a new, uh, I want to say niche, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, market of people who now want to interact with ads via an API? Or are you kind of, are your current customers transitioning over to this new way of serving ads? So, um, you know, ad software and ad tech is largely, um, like clunky and, 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 you know, even ad software built five years ago is kind of stale in a way. Um, and so what we're trying to do is just bring a breath of fresh air into, uh, ad serving at its, at its core, um, which is to your question, you know, folks looking to serve ads through an API and stuff like that. Um, and, um, and then on top of that, just help them. Um, or give them better tools that allow them to be more efficient. Because the reality is that, like, publishers these days, they don't have, like, you know, sales teams of four or five people who can actually go out and sell ads. Um, it's it's much more centered around, like, the indie developer um, who just has to do more with less. And so that's what the, the tool speaks to. Yeah, and it is uh, really easy to integrate. So what's been kind of the the most interesting use case you've seen on the, around this API? Um, that's actually a, that's a good question. So, um, I think, um, the most interesting use case is actually a product we built on top of it. Okay. <laughs> um, and we, we built like a, a pay-per-click native ad thing, I guess I'll call it on top of it. Um, that's, uh, at promoted.com. Um, okay. But I mean, I, I think in general, like, you know, and, and I don't, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to talk about like why my new product is so great and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think in general, it's it's um, it's an example of how um, you know businesses like continuously have to reinvent themselves. I mean, if you look back two thousand eight, six years ago when we first launched Buy Sell Ads, like now Publisher Pro is effectively it's our startup within a startup. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's us trying to reinvent um, ourselves as well. Um, so. Um, I think that's the interesting part about Publisher Pro is that like we're at this interesting time in, in Bicelot's history, six years in, where um, you know now we're trying to uh, recreate some new secret sauce, so to speak. You know. So, are you familiar with Adi's uh, new product? Yes. So he's talked a lot about how he built up Woo Themes and had all this experience, experience, and then he launched uh, public beta. And it looked like it did pretty well before he pressed pause, but he said that there were a whole like new set of challenges that he had to face, and it wasn't as easy as he thought it would be uh, in launching this startup within a startup. 
have you guys found anything that you thought would be easy or has it been a lot easier than the first run having this audience of customers that you could reach out to that are more respect receptive to you? Yeah. You know, I think, I think no matter what, it's always going to be hard for uh, any company or even new company to launch a new thing. And I think that's um, an important thing for folks starting out for the first time and maybe launching their first company to understand is that while you may think you're up against Goliath, um, because they already have a customer base and they already have tech and they have a team, they have money and all those things. Like, you know, it really is much more of a level playing field than you might think. Um, I think, um, in general, it's just, it's hard to launch new things that are actually innovative and that people actually want to use. Um, and you know, even for us to launch this new product, Publisher Pro, you know, there is nothing stopping, you know, uh, Joe Schmo or Sally Schmo, whatever, whoever may, may be who's building the next, you know, ad server. There's nothing to stop them from actually competing with us on a level playing field. Um, and yeah, so we were actually just talking about that um, right before the call, how people avoid markets where uh, they already see someone doing it. Um, maybe they're doing it really well. Maybe it just appears like they are, but you avoid it nonetheless because you think they've kind of cornered it off. But uh, there's always room and there's always a bunch of different ways to solve the same problem. So, um, totally. Yeah, you're, you're definitely speaking to that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, even look at folks like, um, Stripe, right? I mean, like Stripe has uh, theoretically come along and, um, you know, disrupted payments, uh, in some way because they made it so incredibly easy to get up and running as opposed to the kind of the, um, the archaic folks like authorized.net and, you know, world pay or whomever, um, but there's still like people coming up and competing with Stripe. You know, there's uh, balance payments, there's Braintree payments, who is maybe even older than Stripe. I don't know. But anyway, my point is that like, you know, even new folks are seeing constant, um, you know, challenges to, to what they've built. So um, yeah. my favorite actual real world example of this right now is Lyft and Uber Yeah, totally on the taxis. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's uh, that's, that's definitely a great example. Well, thanks, Todd, for, for joining us and for um, anyone out there who has not seen Buy, Sell, Ads, um, go to buysellads.com and check out the, the Publisher Pro. Um, my face is even on the landing page. So. <laughs> yeah, Todd, have you tested that? Have you given a different model? Um, we have something in there. So, um, uh, Michael, when you log in, we track your IP address. So it's just you seeing Oh, <laughs> dang it. I'm, no, I'm, just I'm just kidding. It's, it's actually the only one there right now. We have uh, some other examples we need to add. But. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so uh, check out Publisher Pro. We use it on uh, Benchwarmer and Instatabs. It's fantastic. Um, it solved our problem. So check that out. And uh, Todd, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and kind of sharing your insight here into the, the SaaS world. Yeah, thanks so much, Todd. Thanks. Yeah, thank you guys, and thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, they probably call him Steve Jobs because he got him. He could give a job to anybody, man, no problem. Computers downtown and computers up in Harlem. They running out of computers because everybody bought them. Caught them up in the web of the world, and it's wide. The YouTube's has more science than Bill Nye, the science guy. I'm wild and why? Because the internet filled with spies from the NSA. That's crazy. The internet filled with government wise guys that's maybe trying to give you the disease, the rabies. 
Yeah, we self-curate social media. What happened to when you had to kick it with Tina to know if she was feeling ya? Free yourself from my control, he's just freeing ya. If you're feeling me, I'm feeding y'all. The real knowledge of the mind.